What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 118 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't really answer your question first. I'm not answering your question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talk about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. And you can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we'll talk about what we've been eating, go over the news, and then ask the question, should vegan restaurants ban fur? We're back, baby. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> it feels like it's been such a long time since you and I have recorded and talked about current events, Paul. It has been. I, it it actually has been a long time, though. Yeah, it literally has. I mean, so all those those film reviews we just did, the vast majority of them were recorded before even that that live episode we did in Hamden. So it's been it's been so long, Paul, and I missed you. So how was your break, Andy? My break was good, actually. I lined things up where I was able to take a full social media break for a week during our about six-week break that we had, and it was, it was a learning experience. I feel like I'll probably talk about it more extensively in a future episode, maybe if we focus on self-care or something like that, but... It's a, it's a very rare thing because both this podcast requires me to be up on current events, but also I run my clothing line, Compassion Co., and so I sort of have to always be on social media. And as much as I love it, it also, you know, it drains you a little bit. And so, yeah, for the first couple of days of that, that social media break felt great, felt amazing. And then by the end, I actually felt really disconnected from everyone. I didn't know what was going on. It was kind of nice not to hear what horrible thing Trump did every day for a week. <laughs> but then by the end of it, you're like, I have no idea what's going on. I can't have an informed conversation in this world. So, yeah, it was it was a nice break. Uh, definitely some some time to relax was very much needed. And And yourself, Paul? Well, I was going to say, if you noticed a slight decrease in the quality of our food pictures, that was probably around that time. Because <laughs> I am not good at taking food pics. Oh, I, I definitely took a few and saved them for, <laughs> yeah, yeah. for when I got back. Mine was good. I, you know, keep just, just keeping doing what I'm doing in Philadelphia. Visited Connecticut a few times. Hung out with Andy a few times. That was nice. Spent New Year's Eve together. Ate some delicious food. We ate that uh, that ham. That, that tofurkey ham. and yeah, It's a lot smaller than I thought it would be. It was. It was. But it was still good. But overall, yeah, just, I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I really did anything of note. Didn't, Riveting stuff, Paul. I, di- I didn't see a magic show. <laughs> well, anyway, I don't know about you, but I also, I felt like this break was too long. It, did we, t- did, last year we just didn't record for a couple weeks, right? We straight up did not record anything for one month. Okay. And this, you know, it's not like a true break because we're still posting episodes. We pre-recorded most of them. One or two we had to record a little bit late. And, of course, we were sort of editing throughout this whole thing. But for us, you know, when we're putting together an episode, it requires a lot of thought and research and just sort of being on top of things and thinking about different angles. And also just throughout the week the way that I am interpreting my newsfeed on all my social media 
is different because it's always, do I have something to say about this? Is this something that would be good for the show? Should I keep this in mind? Is this some detail I'm going to need to remember? And so it was nice to have a break from needing to put that filter on everything. But I felt like after three weeks or so, I was ready to get back into it. And it was kind of painful just sitting here and all this stuff's happening and we're not talking about it. And we're putting out these reviews and I love doing the reviews and it was really nice doing them. But I, I was very much ready to get back in action. So I don't know. My takeaway is maybe we'll just do like two breaks throughout the year and they'll be shorter or something like that would be something yeah. I would consider. That's not a bad idea because I I also thought that this was a super long break and like you anytime some news thing would happen i'd be like oh i want to talk about this and it's going to be too too far in the past by the time we come back to it so i i too felt like it was a little too long but it's good to be back yeah and it was a it was a break where like episodes kept sneaking in you know yeah so originally it was just gonna be i think four movies and then then we added another one and then ferdinand happened and then the live episode happened and so it really became seven episodes long where we weren't really commenting on current events so that's pretty a long time so uh, we do appreciate the positive feedback we got from those that were checking out the the reviews that we did though they were a lot of fun i'm really glad that we did them and we're glad that a lot of people listening did appreciate them as well so thank you for that but yeah let us know what do you want our breaks to look like? You decide our life. <laughs> you decide our life. Beautiful mirrors out there. And and to anyone that maybe started listening during during the winter break retro film movie review series, welcome. This is going to be completely different than those other things. It's going to be a little bit longer. Going to be talking about some news. Going to be having an in depth discussion. Not going to be having any answers to anything, but. That was probably what the case was for the film reviews as well. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. But before we do any of that, Paul, before we get into what we've been eating, a couple of announcements. The first is, got that mailbag coming up, so we want your questions, comments, and concerns to be answered on the podcast. And the best way to do that is just to send us an email to thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. No question, too big or too small. And also along with the mailbag episodes, that means we announced three winners for our little ongoing contest. And so if you want to win a Bearded Vegans button and sticker, all you have to do is leave us an iTunes review. It can't just be a rating. You must leave a review so we actually know who left it there. And we'll pick three people at random during that episode to receive their buttons and stickers. So uh, appreciations to everyone that has already done that. You do it once, you're entered for life until you win, and then you're out of the running. But one, one review lasts a lifetime. That should, that should be a, a TLC show. <laughs> One review lasts a lifetime with Andy Tabar. <laughs> yes, indeed. And the other the other thing I wanted to announce is that I, Andy, will be speaking at the Colorado Veg Fest, which is happening July 28th and 29th. And I'll be speaking on the 29th. We are recreating the food and body shaming panel that we did at the New Jersey Veg Fest late last year. So I'll be joining the wonderful JL Fields and Ginny Messina for a for a conversation on how those things affect our movement and how we can move forward. It was it was a really great panel last year. I'm, I'm, we got some amazing feedback, and I was just so thrilled to be included with such amazing people. So really happy to do it again. And can't quite announce yet, but that panel might be happening at a few other veg fests around the country <laughs> this year. 
I expect a verbatim reenactment of the first one. <laughs> I'm hoping that we can actually get a, a good quality recording of it at some point to post us some bonus content because uh, JL and Ginny have such amazing things to say. Occasionally I say something of note <laughs> as <laughs> oh, well. You got, give yourself more credit than that. <laughs> and Paul, we, we have some really exciting things coming up that we can't announce just yet, but there will be some more live podcasts in the future yeah. as well. We're under contract. <laughs> yes, but the guests that are going to happen at this one particular event are going to be pretty great. <laughs> pretty, pretty great. Uh, so, Paul, mm-hmm. as we were coming out of this break and we were, we were thinking, what's going to be our comeback? What are we going to talk about? There is one thing above all else that seemed to sort of trump the news cycle and and also just seemed to be such an incredibly important topic to cover, something that we've talked about before, but has really just reached a, a lion's roar at this point. And that is, of course, the Me Too movement, how that has affected the animal rights community, which is now, you know, working under the hashtag Time's Up AR. And we thought it'd be really weird if we just came back and we didn't talk about that at all. And we started working on this episode and started putting things together and looking for resources and talking to people. And we got to a point when we realized that for us to do this well, to do it, you know, the way it's, it deserves to be done, we needed a little more time to put together. And we also needed some amazing guests to bring in to get some outside voices and their opinions on this whole thing. So just wanted to acknowledge that that's going on. That'll be coming up in next week's episode. So hopefully look forward to that. And in the meantime, I uh, just wanted to provide a resource for people. Um, if someone out there has experienced harassment, specifically in a, a nonprofit organization, uh, you can go to canhad.org. That's just C-A-N-H-A-D.org. And you're able to anonymously report your story there and you know no no instance is too big or too small you can read other people's anonymous testimonials as well and there's resources for how you can sort of address these things and how to how to move forward so just wanted to put that out there for now and definitely looking forward to having a more depth discussion about that next week yeah definitely i look i look forward to to you know learning a lot from our guests next week yes absolutely yeah i don't even know if look look <laughs> looking forward is the right way to say it but i think it'll be <laughs> an interesting episode nonetheless definitely so with that being said uh, let's move on to everyone's favorite portion of the podcast which is what we've been eating so andy we've had like two months uh have you in anything interesting you know, I haven't had a single meal in two months, Paul. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. So, you know, we didn't want to overwhelm people with like a list of a million meals and, and food places. So you can go to our Instagram, the beard vegans to see a lot of what we've been eating. But there's one place I did want to mention because it's a new place to me. And that is a place called Samurai Papa, which is in Brooklyn in the bed neighborhood specifically. It just ha- happens to be very close to where my, my partner just moved. So we visited. It's just around the corner. It's a very cute, small, like maybe 10 seat around a bar type situation. And they have, it's not all vegan, but they have two vegan ramens on the menu. They have their original. And then they have a tomato-based broth as well. And it came with um, their their homemade noodles. And everything, like, says vegan multiple times. So you feel pretty comfortable ordering it. It comes with these mushrooms, scallions, this eggplant, which is super flavorful, avocado, and watercress. And I like the avocado because it kind of takes the place of 
what you'd normally see as an egg in a ramen. It sort of has that similar texture and, and creaminess and fattiness to it. So the broth, though, was just fantastic. And then the noodles were amazing as well. So definitely check out Samurai Papa, which is in Brooklyn. I will check that out, Andy. Thank you. Yeah, you should. It's, it's really good. It's really good. So anyway, Paul, mm-hmm. you went to one of my favorites. Tell me about it. I did. I've been here maybe once or twice before, but I went to Modern Love also in Brooklyn. We're both hanging out in Brooklyn a lot, occasionally with each other, usually not. But (laughs) And I got the pot pie. It was a seitan pot pie. It had this super perfectly flaky crust. There was, like I said, there was like a nice gravy inside and seitan inside, potatoes, carrots, peas. It was served. There was this kind of cranberry relish that was served on the side. And I have not had a pot pie in a very long time. And I think probably the only time I've had a pot pie in the last five years has been the, I think it's Amy's, right? Amy's does a frozen vegan pot pie. They do. Yeah, they do. And and I'm actually, uh, I'm a fan of that one as well, but I, I ha- also just haven't had that in a while. So it's been a very long time since I had a pot pie and this one definitely hit the spot. And I also got the the cheese plate as an appetizer, and that was also it was it was good. It was interesting. I I I don't know if just in general I'm not the biggest fan of just straight up eating cheese uh, on its own, but it was definitely it was nice to fla- to sample a couple different flavors of different you know homemade more gourmet ish vegan cheeses. So yeah, modern love. If you can you know if you ever get a chance to check it out. I would say check it out. Yeah. <laughs> my partner now lives dangerously close to Modern Love, and we've been there a few times, and my my Uh-oh. bank account's not too happy with me. But <laughs> really, that place has but- quickly become my favorite sit-down restaurant in New York City. I think that it's it's expensive, but it's not it's not outrageously expensive, but it's definitely a lot per entree. But they give you a lot of food. You don't leave thinking you just ate a few appetizers. The flavors are out of this world. Every every entree has usually multiple components to it. Like the mac and shoes has the mac and cheese, but it also has blackened cauliflower and cornmeal crusted tofu and candied pecans Ooh. and sauteed greens and a tomato vinaigrette. And like every, everything has multiple little components that just make you feel like so much time and effort went into every dish. So, yeah, definitely, definitely one of my favorites. So that being said, I think it's time for us to dive into the news, and I'm going to start us off with this first story. This is coming to us from the scottishfarmer.co.uk. Of course, all the links to this will be in our show notes over at The Beard Vegans. And it's dated January 20th and says, Dairy must stand against the vegan tide. I saw this getting posted around a lot. I feel like this is just sort of adding to the flood of, oh, crap, dairy's going under stories that we've been talking about. And so the uh, article says, speakers at this week's Semex Dairy Conference in Glasgow were unanimous that the anti-dairy messages being tied up with the, quote, healthy lifestyle fads had to be vigorously countered if the industry was to have a viable future. And they said that in order to to do this, in order to counter these messages, they're going to be launching a 1.2 million pound dairy promotion campaign in tube and railway stations from next month. And the article goes on to say, Dr. Judith Capper, a livestock sustainability consultant, noted that while the number of people professing to be vegans had grown by 261% between 2006 and 2016 to around about half a million people, 542,000 people, this still accounted for less than 1% of the population. 
She stated, but this is not getting away from the fact that they have very loud voices, are very vocal, and keen to put their message all over. There is a need in the dairy sector for some myth-busting. If consumers don't buy our products, milk, cream, butter, cheese, etc., we will not have a dairy industry in five to ten years. So this is this is pretty interesting. Uh, of course, this is UK-based news. This isn't the U.S. where it seemed like dairy was really going down the tubes, and then we had the, the U.S. government essentially bail out the industry. But I think that this is probably a pretty positive note. What do you think, Paul? Yeah, I think what a lot of the, the vegan sources that I've seen posting out this, they're really latching on to that very last line that Dr. Capper said, which was, we will not have a dairy industry in five to ten years. So all the headlines are dairy becoming non-existent in five to ten years. And, and obviously, this is just one person kind of saying, this is what I think is going to happen. I don't. Obviously, it's someone that is in the business, so they would have they would know more about it than, than I would. But... It's just one person's observation. I, I don't think it's necessarily any reason to to plant our flag and say we've won. <laughs> but I do think, like you were saying, Andy, it's just this story in the midst of all these other stories about how dairy is, is on the decline, which I think is great. I will say, however, one point two a 1.2 million pound promotional campaign, that is a lot of money. And hopefully... That sounds like it weighs that, a lot. I'm not sure how they're going to move it around. <laughs> Shut up, Andy. <laughs> um, <laughs> First time anyone's ever made that joke. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I'll wait in the car. <laughs> I miss you, Andy. But I, I, I hope that that won't have, you know, negative effects for veganism. Because I, I've, I've been seeing, I feel like I've been seeing some of my online friends in the UK posting vegan kind of ad campaigns in the tubes and in the railway stations so this is you know kind of counteracting that but i feel like for people that for people that drink already drink milk seeing a like a got milk campaign yes it can kind of confirm the stuff that they already think but i feel like the vegan ads are probably more have more of an impact because it's you know it's it's colliding with your beliefs so i i can't imagine that the opposite is necessarily true i can't imagine that a, a vegan is going to see a dairy can't someone that's entrenched in veganism someone that's bought into veganism is not going to see a dairy campaign a dairy ad and be like oh they're right i should go back to to drinking milk i could be wrong but that's just a that's just a thought. well i think that they know they've probably lost most of those people but i would imagine it's more aimed at the the casual consumer because as as we've talked about on the show before so many people drink almond milk and they they drink you know non-dairy milks generally speaking but i think almond milk is the one that most people have latched onto and i think that most people do that probably because they have the perception that it's healthier. I don't think that many people do it that aren't vegan out of animal welfare concerns necessarily. So I think someone like that could be swayed if they're reminded, oh, yeah, almond milk doesn't have that much protein, but cow's milk does. And cow's milk has these things, these vitamins that were added in. And I think that it could potentially have an effect on those people. But my general feeling is that we've seen the trend of dairy going down consistently every generation for a while now. And it feels like of all of the industries out there, dairy seems to be struggling the hardest, at least from the numbers that we've seen. So I don't know. I think that this is just going to be evidence of them sort of really desperately grasping at straws 
to to rake in whatever minimal amount of profits they can before the industry goes. I don't think it'll it's hard for me to imagine going completely under in our lifetime, but I feel like it could go way more down to like a niche market almost like the fur market or something like that where it's like yeah some people do it but the majority of people think it's it's pretty gross and and unethical and and why would you do that that's a good that's a good point and also you bringing up almond milk and how almond milk is what we believe to be the most prevalent non-dairy milk currently that actually does make me reconsider what i was saying before about this ad campaign like what effect is it actually going to have because i feel like i don't know maybe 10 10 years ago i'm just making up that number 10 15 years ago i feel like soy milk was the most prevalent non-dairy milk and then soy milk did get some it got some negative press everyone was like oh there's too much estrogen blah 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 blah. and you know I, i i wouldn't be surprised if the dairy industry were the people really pushing that message. So maybe this current promotional campaign is going to try to attack almond milk. Like for instance, you were saying about how it doesn't have that much protein or something like that. So maybe that's what they're going to try to do, which does make me slightly worried because I feel like soy milk, a lot of people just believe that soy milk is not great or we should avoid soy milk when in fact it's, actually not terrible for yeah, you yeah yeah i love me some soy milk i mean paul we don't even need the dairy industry to attack almond milk when we only have ripple doing it for them <laughs> i love ripple but stop attacking soy and almond you jerks. milk <laughs> you jerks all right well we'll keep everyone updated on the latest in in dairy's inevitable downfall but <laughs> paul let's in this segment in this segment of dairy's inevitable downfall <laughs> bunk, 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 Oh, God. That was my sound effect. Why don't you wait in the car? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's move on to this next one. So this is an article. A couple of friends sent it to me, saw it posted around a couple of times. And this is one of those moments, like when I watch some of the, the health movies, where I say, I want this to be true, but I just don't know if this is true or not. So this is an article. This is from ManchesterEveningNews.co.uk. And there's a reason why I picked this one. But this article is titled, One in 12 Parents Raising Their Children Vegan, Despite Some Kids Wanting to Eat Meat, Says New Study. And this is from January 17th, by the way. This is not the original article that I saw talking about this. However, in the original article I saw talking about it, it just kind of made these statements like it said oh there's a new survey there's a new, there was a new study a new survey study that said this and then it said this and it wasn't very specific and when i tried to actually go read the the paper that was published for the study it cost like three thousand dollars to buy the paper so i said i love you all and i want to bring you the news but no thank you <laughs> and this particular news source they must have either gotten access to it or bought it because they provide a lot of specifics and say like this percent and this percent and this percent and we'll get to some of that but that's why i chose this one so let me read a little bit from it parents are raising their children as vegan despite their kids wanting to try meat new figures show one in 12 parents say they have made the choice for their child with the majority citing health benefits as the reason Of the 8% of parents choosing the vegan option for their offspring, more than half admitted their youngsters had expressed a desire to eat meat and animal products. A further 13% said they were raising their kids as vegetarian, but the majority was at the request of the child for a meat-free diet. The team behind 
www.vouchercodespro.co.uk carried out the study to coincide with Veganuary, questioning almost 2,200 UK parents with kids aged aged from birth to 12. So the first thing I'm going to say is I don't know how reliable of a source vouchercodespro.co.uk is in terms of their studies. And I will also say it's a relatively small sample size. So not to, you know, not to try and find reasons why this study isn't true because maybe it is, maybe it is true, but those definitely raise some red flags for me. Let me finish reading from this article. It followed an increase in the number of searches on site for discounts relating to vegan and vegetarian products. Any respondents who said that their children were being raised on a vegan diet were asked if it had been their own personal choice or their child's. The overwhelming majority, 97%, said they had made the decision to feed their child a vegan diet. When asked why, 61% said it was due to what they felt were the health benefits of a diet that was free from any animal produce, such as meat and dairy. A further 36% said it was due to their opinion on animal welfare and cruelty. Every parent raising their child on a vegan diet said they themselves were vegan, compared with 87% of parents of vegetarian children being vegetarian too. Interesting. Interesting. So, Andy, here's the thing. My initial thought when, when I read this was that 1 out of 12 is about 8%. It's slightly more than 8%. And I said to myself, especially because this article says, I think it says... Every Yes, every parent raising their children on a vegan diet said they themselves were vegan. So if we say one in 12 parents are raising their children as vegan and every one of those parents is vegan, that would also imply that one in 12 parents are vegan. And as much as I would like to believe that 8% of, um, this is in the UK, 8% of the UK is vegan, I, I want that to be true, but I just don't think that it's true. So, well, yeah, I yes. think that I, I agree that the numbers are high and you've already pointed out some of the flaws in this type of survey, especially the small sample size. And and if indeed it is just people going to vouchercodes.pro, whatever, whatever the heck that, that website is, <laughs> then and if it's already people that are looking for those types of codes, then, yeah, that would skew the bias. But we do see surveys that say, oh, between 2 and 6% of the U.S. population is vegan. And, again, a lot of those get inflated. And there's issues with people sort of self-reporting being vegan but not actually being vegan. And, you know, like, it, for instance, in the survey, someone will say they're vegan. But then, like, later on the survey, they say they eat chicken twice a week or something like that. So there's there's probably some confusion going on there as well. But once you, because one in twelve for some reason, I was like, that's so high. But then you, when you say, oh, that's actually about eight percent, I'm like, okay, actually, that's kind of low. Uh, I'm no, I'm no math professor, Paul. So, <laughs> so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the actual numbers were not that high, but maybe half of that, four percent, something like that. You know, we can only, so we can only speculate there. But yeah, I think that there's also a lot of parents that want to tell people they're raising their children vegan or vegetarian, because I think despite all of the stigma around veganism, there is still the view that it's generally a healthier thing to do. So I, so I think that when quizzed, a lot of parents might say they're raising their child vegan or vegetarian because it sounds like it's a good thing to do for your child. True, true. I also just found, I, I quickly Googled it and found a different 
website that I think it was just the the wording that confused me. So it said that vouchercodespro.uk they in response to them seeing that a lot of people were searching for vegan and vegetarian products. So they saw that a lot of people were were searching for those things and in response to that they created this survey. Gotcha. So I don't think it was I don't think it was just to those people. That would be like the the worst setup of a study <laughs> of all time. But so yeah, it wasn't just to those people. Um, I don't know exactly how they got it because again, I can't see the the gosh dang paper because it's like five thousand dollars. But <laughs> price I, keeps I would going be up. Interested to know. <laughs> I'd be interested to know how they carried this out as well. Yeah, and actually though, if it is because of that, it's interesting because. I would view this as a relatively unbiased source. It's not it's not vegan.com trying to inflate numbers to show people how many people are going vegan in order to sort of influence others to go vegan. Like, look how popular this is. Don't you want to do it too? This is just from a source that's trying to sell people stuff or get codes for for people to buy stuff. So that that makes me feel better about these higher numbers, but I do think all the the issues we've mentioned are still going to be inherent there. Something that I also I also just thought of was maybe, again, I wish that I knew more about the study, but the st- maybe when you're on vouchercodespro.uk and it says, take our survey to, to get a free thing or whatever, it, maybe it said, take our vegan survey to, to do something, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like as a vegan, if I saw it, take a vegan survey, I'd be like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Whereas if I saw take a, a paleo diet survey, I'd be like, I have no interest in doing this. So do you know what I mean? Depending on how this, how they proceeded about getting the people, maybe they got more vegans based upon how they asked, you know, how, to, how, to, how they asked to get people to fill out the survey. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, again, I'm, I'm completely speculating, but I, I just... I don't want to believe that vouchercodespro.uk is putting out a <laughs> a well thought out survey. I'm sorry, vouchercodespro.uk.co.uk, <laughs> but if that's your name, I I cannot believe that this is super legit. Well, you never know. You never know. I want to, Andy. I want to believe. <laughs> All right. All right, Mulder. <laughs> so I guess something we haven't really touched upon is how is the general public reacting to this story? It seems like vegans are wanting to really inflate these numbers and, and show this as a sign of progress uh how's how's uh, the average joe on the street reacting to this news <laughs> so i will i will say in response like going along with that i i got i felt a slight tinge of bias in the way that this article was written there was a lot of it would make a statement and then comma like despite kids wanting to do something else or it would say like but the kids really wanted to do this so i while I was reading the article, I was like, I feel like the person that wrote this article thinks that parents are, you know, forcing their kids to do this and they see that as wrong. And then when I scrolled down to the comments, something that no person should ever do, one of the comments was taking the de- the decision away from children is basically parents being Nazis. Oh, boy. And, and keep in mind, these are parents of kids aged from birth to 12. So I don't know the last time this person was like, here, one-year-olds, you make, you can, you can do all the cooking and make all the decisions for yourself. But it, it's just, I don't know. It, it's, it's interesting that, that I'm sure that if this person that made the comment is a parent, they're making countless decisions for, for what to feed their child simply by the fact that their child cannot cook for themselves at that point when they're super duper young and 
it's it's just it's always weird to me when people just because it's different people say like oh you're forcing someone to do something every parent is forcing their kid to do stuff you can't you can't not force a baby like tell give them what to eat that baby's going to die <laughs> yeah that's that's like what being a parent is is shepherding your your young child through life and making sure that they stay alive until they're old enough to make decisions of their own so yeah it's it's silly it's it's to me it's the same thing as like or it's to me it's similar when people say that feeding a dog vegan is forcing a vegan diet upon your dog it's like well yeah literally everything you feed your dog is technically forced upon them because you're choosing to only give them that one thing yeah i actually i i i had a similar conversation i was i was riding in the car with my grandma a couple weeks ago and we basically had this exact conversation where where she she asked me if if you have kids would you raise them on a vegan diet and and I said yes and and she said that same thing she was like she did she did not call me a nazi but she said isn't that basically <laughs> forcing them and I said well that's what every every parent every parent tries to instill their morals and ethics onto their kids there there will become a point where the the child has to decide for themselves if those are the ethics that they actually that that they truly believe in but up until that point every parent is doing that every parent is saying hey this is this is the right thing to do this is do this and don't do this so just because it's unpopular doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong yeah yeah definitely and while we're on the subject of numbers and being inflated and how we interpret them and how we use them as a movement, I did want to give a quick plug for a new YouTube series, which is called Are We Winning? And it's done by Jake Conroy, who is someone in the movement that has a lot of really great insights into the history of the movement because he's been around and he's been a part of it. And specifically, we're going to link to a video called Know Your History Part One, which talks a lot about a lot of the stories that come out that say veganism is up 700% and it kind of ignores the fact that actually veganism like was at 700% in say the eighties and then it went down and I was going back up again. And, and how do we interpret these numbers? How do we deal with them as a movement? Things like that. Don't, those aren't the specific numbers, but that's the general gist. So uh, yeah, definitely give that a watch. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. I think um, it's going to be really good channel to keep your eye on. I've never watched that. I'll have to check it out. Thank you, Andy. Yeah. All right, let's let's move on to this final one. This is uh, Bong Joon Ho's. Oh, oh wait, no, I'm sorry. It's actually uh, Bill Gates. <laughs> Bill Gates donates forty million dollars to help create high yield super cows and chickens that look like hippos. Yeah, and this is coming to us from plantbasednews.org. It actually got traction in a ton of different outlets because it's Bill Gates. Uh, this is dated January 30th, so very recent for us at the time of recording. Billionaire Bill Gates has pledged a $40 million donation towards research which aims to help poor farmers get as much as possible out of their animals. The Gates Foundation, together with Britain's Department for International Development, will pump cash into what has been described as innovative agricultural projects. The projects could result in creating cows that can produce more milk, chickens who lay better quality eggs, livestock vaccines, and more resistant crops. And it's, you know, it goes on to quote a lot of stuff that Bill Gates has said, and he basically describes livestock as, quote, a lifeline out of poverty. And I also did find another article over at ladbible.com. Same topic. Yeah, right. (laughs) Same topic. Is that surprisingly an interesting article from them? (laughs) But uh, a, a quote from Bill Gates that was in this in this article, he said, 
But through my work with Foundation, I've met many people in poor countries who raise chickens, and I have learned a lot about the ins and outs of owning these birds. It's pretty clear to me that just about anyone who's living in extreme poverty is better off if they have chickens. So this is a pretty interesting story, Paul, and and I think that probably a complicated one for us to grapple with. Because I think my, my initial impression is this is horrible, but then I'm like, are we being horrible and sensitive privileged vegans to shoot down this idea or this possible avenue? Uh, what do you think? I think it sounds like the beginning to every post-apocalyptic sci-fi movie that says they finally figured out how to enhance something. And then 10 years later and everything is just a desert <laughs> and, and super cows are ruling the earth. Yeah. But I, I, I do think that, I have to agree with, not agree with you, but I do think that you are onto something when you say it's, it's always weird for someone that's not in this position to say like, no, you shouldn't be doing this thing that could possibly be helping you, you know, it's, I feel like it's not our, it's almost, it's like not our place to, to withhold things that could enhance someone's lives. Now, I think where we are allowed, maybe allowed to be skeptical or we're allowed to be critical of if these things are truly going to help people, if these things are are truly going to be the best way to help people. And it, it's certainly an, an interesting story because Bill Gates has, like, he's been applauded by the animal rights movement for investing lots of money into Beyond Meat and into Memphis Meats. And it seemed like for a while he was really pushing this is going to be the future. These these either clean meat or meat replacements, these are going to be the future. This is the thing that's the most sustainable. This is the thing that's that's going to truly help people. So it it is an interesting kind of turn for him to now be doing this instead of, I guess, pumping more money into some of these other things. Especially, I feel like... It, we're on the cusp of clean meats coming out. You know what I mean? It, it seems like yeah. clean meats are are here in the next in the next in this year or next year or the year after that. They'll be here, and I'm curious as to. I mean, maybe he is still. I, for all I know, he's still putting money into those continuously. But on the cusp of this thing that he he thought was going to be so crucial, I'm interested as to why now he's kind of promoting this other thing and i mean maybe it it could just be that he's you know he's almost saying i don't know what the thing is that's going to be the future so i'm going to give the opportunity for all these different venues i'm going to fund all these different things in the hopes that one of them will catch on um i certainly think that this goes to show that and and I, i don't think that this makes him a bad person but i think with the the Memphis meats and the Beyond Meat, he's definitely more focused on the the human aspect and the environment aspect than the the animal aspect of it. But I, I guess I don't necessarily, even though I don't agree with this thing that he's doing, I don't fault him for this tactic, this possible tactic that I'm speculating that he's doing of being like, I'm going to help all these different things because I can help these very different things in the hopes that one of them is going to take and one of them is going to have a big impact. Yeah. And I think actually in terms of him diversifying his approach, I would imagine that he, you know, invests in, in Memphis meats and in the clean meat stuff 
I don't think he does that thinking this technology is going to make its way over into to countries or, or populations that are into in abject poverty right now. And so I don't I, I would imagine he's not thinking that these, quote unquote, super cows are going to be used to to help you know people in thriving populations in, in the U.S., for instance. But I don't know. It it just feels like can't there be another way to to, to address this issue? I I actually I, well first I'll say I don't know if I I don't know if I if I agree with you on your assessment because if if say cows were developed that produced more milk or chickens that laid better quality eggs that were they would have to be cheaper because the, the people that the people that he's he's targeting are not going to be able to afford you know like super expensive just because the quality is better they wouldn't they wouldn't w- want to buy these things. Why wouldn't the 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 farmers in thriving communities? Why wouldn't they also get these things if they're cheaper and they produce they yield better results? Why wouldn't they also subscribe to this kind of stuff? Yeah, no, I guess that's a good point. I think that actually this that feels like something that utilitarians would be really happy about because it would it would reduce harm to animals. Oh, we can produce more milk with less cows. Isn't that better for the cows overall? I, I could see some, you know, reducitarians or, or, you know, the effective altruist crowd, the utilitarian crowd actually being really into that and, and like lobbying to get f- farmers to, to have these animals that have higher yield production. I think that's a stretch. I uh, think that's a stretch. Uh, I think, I think. <laughs> You're reaching, I think, Andy. I don't think I'm reaching. I think that. Given the option between a cow that produces less milk or more milk, I think that a lot of the utilitarian crowd would say, wouldn't it be better to have a cow that produces more milk and thus less cows have to be used, and therefore the overall suffering rate goes down? But I feel like, God, what if this is the thing that saves the dairy industry? <laughs> but <laughs> but I feel like for for place, for place for, say, milk manufacturers, milk companies, dairy companies that – are you know maybe in the U.S. and maybe they're they're doing okay right now. They, they see the overall trend of dairy going down, but they're they're still surviving. Th- what if this thing is the thing that like bolsters them back up? They can put out these PR campaigns that are like this this milk is better quality and and blah 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 and all this other bogusness. But what if this thing is the thing that helps them? And then they just they are able to increase their production and buy more cows because because of this well what about like the milk glut where they've been they were like throwing out milk they're just like dumping like thousands of gallons of milk out because they produced more than they were selling it it's, doesn't make sense that they would want to buy more cows unless unless it's government subsidized and they're getting their money regardless then perhaps yes but i can't imagine that it would it would equal them wanting to buy more cows if they weren't able to sell everything they were producing yeah, no, I, I, I feel like it's hard for us to speculate what the the outcome would be if, you know, like dairy dairy farmers in the U.S. started doing these things. I feel like we're maybe getting off off topic and, and maybe we're speculating too much about this hypothetical situation like, well, if this happened, then maybe this would happen. And if that happened, then maybe that would happen. But maybe let's bring it back to what he's actually doing and what he says the actual purpose of this is. And that's to, as he describes it, to, to, to enhance a lifeline out of poverty. 
Yeah. And now this is not directly related, but it is related. And that's in, in a previous episode and not too far, not too, not too long ago. I don't think we had talked about a well-fed world and their, their article, 10 reasons to say no to farmed animals as gifts. So this is different because Bill Gates isn't, isn't gifting just straight up livestock to these people, but it is still in the same realm because it's still saying we need to put more into like, we need to put more, uh, we need to put to use a Bill Gates friendly analogy. We need to put more of our enhanced eggs in this basket and, and, (laughs) and kind of stick with that, stick with that tactic. So in Uh that way, I guess it's kind of, it's kind of similar and we'll definitely include that art, the link to that article and the reasons that they give, again, I'm not sure if they exactly relate, but what they kind of talk about, one one of the things they talk about, for instance, is how the animals that people are gifted all themselves require food and require water. And so if, if food and water is already a shortage, now it, it's it's kind of, there are more mouths to feed at this point. And again, Maybe that applies to what Bill Gates trying to do, but maybe on the other hand, it's more so he would be replacing the cows that are already there. So it's not like there are more mouths to feed. It would be the same mouths to feed. I don't know. Do you, do, what, do you think that this farmed animals as gifts is along the lines of what he's doing? I think I think it's it's related because the ten reasons you know talks about how it's like a really poor use of of resources and you know again this is about sort of enhan- quote unquote enhancing the animals that these farmers in impoverished nations are already using but I do think that there's a lot to be learned from from reading that article and you know sort of looking at why animal agriculture is not necessarily the way out of this situation. I think that when we look at global poverty, and this is not my area of expertise at all, but it's it's not just because there's not enough food for people to eat or because the animals aren't producing enough. There's global systems in place. There's capitalism in place that's keeping countries in poverty. There's countries, you know, imperialist nations like the U.S. and Britain and whatnot that, that go in and force this poverty upon nations. And so it it feels like a weird band-aid to be working on enhancing animals. And may, maybe and you know, maybe it's just because he can't see fixing these larger problems and this is something he can do. I can certainly relate to that because I know in my head I can think of bigger systems involved with animal agriculture that need focusing on, but for me as an individual person, I'm like, what can I do? Well, I can talk to other individuals and help them go vegan and, and help them understand the issues related to it. Maybe that's his forty million dollar version of that. Yeah. But I but I feel like it's it just seems short sighted. It seems like it's a small band aid on this giant gaping wound that's not really addressing the source of these these problems and i i mean maybe for all we know this is giving bill gates credit for all we know these other vegan friendly companies that he's been investing in beyond meat and memphis meats maybe he's he's done you know like he's had people do the research and he's found out yeah i think that these products are going to be they're going to change the world and they're going to help the world, but they're not going to help 
these specific communities that are not going to have access to these things anyways, or even if they did have access, they wouldn't be able to afford them anyways. So maybe he was saying, I still am backing these things, but I also want to do something that these other people will have access to as well. Maybe that, maybe that was his thinking. And because I mean, I do have to say, it's like, I don't, while I'm stoked on beyond meat and I'm stoked on, on clean meat, I don't know if those things are going to make their way over to, to people that are, that are more, in, in more financial trouble than I am in the U S financial trouble seems like such a <laughs> light way to put it. <laughs> yeah. They're just in financial trouble. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think uh, we'll leave it there, but I would love to know what the beardos think about this. I'm kind of, you know, I'm torn on the whole thing. I don't think it's going to be, I'm not going to spend my time railing against it, but I guess I would rather spend if I was working in this sector, more effort looking at better, options than this but hey maybe he's done that but let us know what you think send us an email to thebeardedvegans at gmail.com and with that said it's time to move into our main discussion of the week it's been so long paul so so long (laughs) so this you know normally we have an article or some news story that we sort of base our main discussions off of there is no such article for this this is just coming from a series of conversations i've seen arguments online and things a lot, a lot of it has happened recently, so it's kind of fresh in my mind. But I've seen this pop up time and time again, and people having various opinions on it. And I wanted to dive into it with Paul. And that is the question of, should vegan restaurants ban fur? And I, I know that this has been the case... I think uh, Veggie Grill, there was issues with with people wanting to boycott because they wouldn't ban fur or they wouldn't ban non-vegan food from being consumed in the premise. And and recently I saw a story of some acquaintances who went to a very popular vegan restaurant. And while they were there, it was a large group of them, they saw someone wearing a Canada Goose jacket. And for anyone that doesn't know, Canada Goose right now is sort of the very specific target of a corporate campaign because they kill coyotes for the fur trim on the jackets. And of course they, they use the geese to their, their feathers to stuff the, the jackets. Mm -hmm. Although interestingly, I feel like the campaign focuses way more on the fur than on the geese themselves from, from what I've seen. And I think maybe that that's definitely going to play into this conversation. Like why fur, why not, leather or you know all these other things why is this specifically the target of our ire and i know we've gotten at that in some previous four episodes but i think this is a different enough situation and so these people spot this person wearing a canada goose jacket they went up and confronted the person it turned into an argument they were told to leave by the restaurant and then they said that they were they were going to boycott that restaurant until they put in a no fur policy so this was pretty interesting because a lot of the arguments for it was, you know, vegans, we need a safe place. We need a place to be free from all of this crap that's happening in the world. And vegan restaurants are that place. And therefore, we should not have to be subjected to fur in these restaurants. And so I just felt like there's so many, so many questions that come up from that. Are vegan restaurants should are they a safe place for vegans? Do vegans need a safe place at all? Uh, should it be a vegan restaurant? And I think maybe let's start off right there. Like, Paul, what are your sort of impressions of hearing this story? What do you think? Like, do you think vegan restaurants should ban fur? I will say I can certainly sympathize with being in a vegan restaurant and and seeing someone 
wearing something like that and being like, oh, that that stinks. I'm going to say this right now, as of us not having any conversation, I would say I don't think vegan restaurants should ban fur, but I believe it is. It would I would be completely fine if a vegan restaurant decided to put a sign outside that said, please, no, please, no animal clothing or, or please no fur or i mean but again we're going to get into the discussion of should they say please no fur no leather should they just say please no fur are they going to be checking people's sneakers as they come in so it i i do think that restaurants have the i don't know if i want to say have the right because it's not like a legal I, i'm not talking legally but i think that they it, i would be okay with seeing a sign outside of a restaurant that said please do not bring animal products into our into our establishment this includes fur leather etc something like that i would be okay with that but i i'm gonna say right now i don't think that vegan restaurants should ban fur so do you think that by placing that sign out front it would send like it sends a good message like it's a it's a form of activism to sort of educate people that are that are not vegan that are coming to the restaurant do you think because often veganism is just uh, associated with with dietary habits with your physical you know what goes in your mouth do you think it does help send a message if a restaurant was to adopt that policy would it help people make the connection that oh it's more than just what you eat i'm thinking that you know when i visited animal place which is a farmed animal sanctuary up in northern california outside of their visitor center before you can really get into the whole sanctuary they have a sign that says something along the lines of out of respect for our animal residents please don't bring any animal products this includes you know fur leather whatever and and you know meat etc and and remember seeing that and thinking like oh that's that's pretty rad like that helps people that are coming to the sanctuary like really make the connection it's not the only place where the sanctuary was advocating for veganism it's pretty present in their tours that they give but i felt like it it sent a nice little message and i'm wondering if that would be the same for for a restaurant like i think that the way that that's worded the one that you just read i think that that's perfect and now obviously there's not going to be animals there probably will not be animals inside of a vegan restaurant. So you wouldn't say out of respect for these animals, but you could just say in general, like out of respect for animals, please do not out of respect for animals and out of respect for us, please do not do this. Blah, 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 blah. I think that that's worded perfectly because what I worry about is, is someone who is just finding out about veganism. They're, they're exploring it and then having some, confrontation that then turns them off from it and again and i know i feel like a lot of people would be like well like they don't deserve us being nice to them because what they're doing is is cruel and i would i would agree that what they're doing or what they're wearing is not good but it's not about you know it's not about how we feel about them that's not what's gonna you know that that's not the important thing that we're trying to fight for here it's not i need to tell you what i think about you that doesn't who gives a shit what I think <laughs> like the, the end goal is that this person stops doing that thing. They stop wearing the fur. They stop eating the meat. They stop eat, They stop drinking dairy. That's what we're trying to do. So me telling this person how I feel about them has no, you know, it, it, it's, there's no, there's no point in doing that. So I guess, again, the reason that I'm hesitant of this is in the messaging of it. If you just say like, if, if your sign just says, 
don't wear fur, don't be an asshole or something like that. Or like only assholes wear fur or something like that. I think that, I don't know if someone could be like, well, these guys are going to be a jerk to me. Then I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to go in here then. And, and I think that getting someone, getting a non-vegan to go eat at a vegan restaurant is, can be an important first step for many people's journey to veganism. And, and I think the more negative experiences they have during that journey, the more they're going to possibly get turned up, turned away from it. I feel like I have to push back a little bit when you say that it doesn't matter what you think about them or what someone thinks about them. Cause I do, I do think that on some level, a lot of people will change or feel more able to change or feel more like the changes accessible within them because they know how society thinks about a certain thing. Like I think that if someone knows that everybody else recycles and, and is into recycling, they might feel more pressure to recycle or they might not feel like such a weirdo for going out of their way to recycle a can versus throwing it in the garbage. So I think maybe on some level, the opinion of others does play into this whole thing. But at the current state that we're in, if, when, if veganism only represents, you know, one to six percent of the population, we're like what what we're thinking and what we're saying isn't going to be the the norm for a while. And 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 I will say, and this is relevant to the conversation, I do think that is slightly different for fur because I do believe that uh, the general I don't know if I even maybe I'll even say the general public acknowledges that fur sucks and so i think that in that way as vegans we i guess we do have an advantage and maybe having slightly more aggressive messaging about fur won't turn people off then do you think i think some people would would certainly argue that and that's the reason for quote unquote fur shaming or or following someone that's wearing fur and, and sort of yelling at them and getting in their face is because fur is this one one product that's I think many would say is kind of on this tipping point that it's so close to being out of fashion and we covered that that story about whatever main fashion designer decided not to carry fur anymore. And you're sort of seeing that that fur feels like it's on the way out, even even way more so than dairy. And again, I think there will always be some niche, you know, very uh, affluent market for fur. I think that no matter how much it goes out of style, there will always be some people that view it as a symbol of wealth. But I think that some people would say, well, fur is is it's so close to being on the way out that it's important for us to make it as uncomfortable for someone to wear fur as possible in public. And yes, that could mean yelling at them in public, but it could also just mean saying, if you want to wear that stuff, you're not welcome in our restaurant anymore. Yeah, I I, I, I guess. Well, I, I will I will preface what I'm about to say by saying I don't think following some around some a, a stranger around on the street and yelling at them is, is ever an appropriate or productive thing to do comma. But I, like, I, I guess, I guess that does. <laughs> I'm I guess, so, so curious what this, but is going to be that follows that. I guess that does slightly change how I feel about your second example that you just gave, which is a restaurant owner saying, I'm not going to let you eat here because of this. Like I, I like, I guess my main pushback against these restaurant bans initially is that I feel like it can, it would turn people off. But upon reconsidering, I, I think because fur 
or anti-fur campaigns have better general public PR, I think we can be a little more aggressive in, in those ways. Um, I don't know if I personally would be, but I think when someone, you know, when someone gets called a jerk for wearing fur, I feel like they that's not like an like a something that's out of nowhere for them they 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 know they've seen celebrities getting red paint thrown on them like they know they know why people are doing this it's not this completely random act so i guess in that sense because andy we've talked about before i forget who i forget who this was that talked about this but one of the guests that we had on talked about how the certain tactics that you use a lot of these some of these tactics that people are using now depend they they require more of the general public being behind them and then it becomes more of a i'm pressuring you're you're using societal pressure to to force people to stop doing this thing do do you remember who that was yeah i'm pretty sure you're talking about our interview with alex felsinger from better eating international and and specifically he was talking about the tactics that dxc use but i definitely can see that applying here as well that in order for these pressure tactics to work these sort of direct action e-esque tactics to work you have to have the public on your side and if you're just sort of a very fringe thing fringe movement then you're way less likely to achieve your goals. And that like the earlier on in a movement that, uh, uh, that like members of that movement adopt these tactics, usually the less successful they are. If they haven't built a groundswell of public support from people that aren't necessarily going to engage in those tactics, but will be there to have the conversations afterwards. So for instance, you know, black lives matter. There's a lot of people, if they shut down traffic or something, there's a lot of people there to handle those conversations afterwards about why they think that shutting down traffic is, is a productive maneuver. But when DXC goes into a Chipotle and yells at people, the vast majority of people, when they're posting on their wall, are just going to have others going, yeah, those those are jerks and they ruined your meal. It's, so do you think that fur specifically is at the point where... And, and again, I want to specify that I do not mean going and yelling at someone, but do you think that fur is at the point where we can use some more of these pressury tactics such as restaurants banning fur are we at that point i'm not sure i mean i want to say yes but i i think that if if i can let the uh, vegan cat of the bag uh i still wouldn't necessarily think that it's the most productive thing for a vegan restaurant to ban fur and why is that so here here is my opinion on that in that in the question that i asked you paul do vegans need a safe space? And I, yes, 100%, I think that we do. We are not a marginalized group, so we don't need a safe space in that regard, but we are activists and there is an immense amount of trauma involved in the subject matter that we deal with. You know, we're dealing with the physical death of these innocent sentient beings all day long, every day. This is happening. No matter what we do, this is still happening right now. No matter how much progress we make, it's still happening. It's a very depressing thing. And you don't want to have to be confronted with it all the time. So I think that we do need places where we can just go and be by ourselves or be with our other vegan friends 
and and complain about that stuff or, or you know, complain about some interaction we had with someone that was ignorant or not willing to have a conversation or something. And sometimes that means getting together at a friend's house. Sometimes that means a Facebook forum, whatever it might be. But I don't think that restaurants necessarily have to serve that function. I I get that it, it could be, and it seems like you could assume that it is a good place for that to happen. But for me, I view restaurants as outreach centers. I think that generally speaking, no matter how much information we give someone until they feel comfortable to know that they're not going to have to sacrifice too much in their lives in terms of taste and comfort and whatnot. I think that people are way less likely to make that change. And I think that there's actually a really great video from from Modern Love, one of our favorites, where they were interviewing Issa, who is the the mastermind behind that restaurant. And she said, you know, taste buds come first and then everything else follows with that. And I don't think that too many people would necessarily disagree with that. I've even heard, you know, like Gary Francione, who is someone that's very much he's not about people having journeys and and taking steps and all this stuff. But he has said the reason why you know, a lot of people focus on food is because the food comes first and a lot of other things follow with that. Like he said, you know, I I don't know how many people that said, I'm going to stop wearing leather first and then went vegan or like plant-based dietarily. So I feel like it's not too controversial to say that. I think like from, from a wide swath of, of activist viewpoints, that's how people view it. So I think that the restaurants are there and they allow people to go and try hopefully very tasty, very good vegan food prepared for them in a comfortable atmosphere. And that is what can really open people up to these, to these things, to this way of living, or at the very least to starting it dietarily and then maybe moving on into other areas of their life for leather, rodeos, zoos, whatever it might be. And so I, th- I think that we should look at them as outreach centers, as a place for people to go and see what vegan food can be all about. So, so my philosophy, if I was a vegan restaurant owner, I would totally get why people would be bummed out if someone came in wearing fur. But I also think I would be so excited that they're choosing to eat at my vegan restaurant instead of the steakhouse next door. Mm-hmm. Because that means they're one step closer to not wearing that fur anymore. Yeah. Now, what about what about one of these more like a gentle, a more gentle sign like out of respect, we would ask that you don't wear these products. Do you think that's do you think that that's still pushing a little too much when when uh, it shouldn't be? I don't know, because. I I, I don't know. I don't know if people will feel too judged by that. I, I bet they would. But yeah, I mean, if it's maybe if it's not like an official policy, yeah, you know, I don't know. But how could how could you post that and not have it be an official policy or not have the vegans that do come to your restaurant expect you to enforce that? Like that's what I'm thinking too. You know, so I I feel like it's it's one or the other, and I think that it if you put a sign up like that, it would have to be enforced. I think maybe like I love it when a vegan restaurant has why and how to go vegan literature in the restaurant. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that that allows they're they're in a place where they're open to everything that's going on around them. They're trying the food. Hopefully they like it. And maybe they say, you know, what? let me pick up this vegan recipe leaflet from vegan outreach 
or let me pick up this, you know, how to go vegan thing or like, why should I eat this food that I'm here for? And I think that by putting those signs in your window, you're probably turning away potential people. Now, if someone's so fragile that that sign sends them away, maybe they're not about to go vegan the next day, but maybe they're the person that would go vegan a year from now. Maybe the person yeah. that goes vegan a few months or a couple of years from now. And I think that, you know, we see a lot of people say they, they don't like to be associated with veganism, even vegans, because it's such a judgmental, clicky social club and not a social justice movement and not one that is open and welcoming to all. And I don't know if you saw this story, Paul. I think I might have sent it to you about Waka Flocka, who, who was you know a celebrity that was lauded for going vegan. And recently he said he's not vegan anymore. And the reason was he's like, people are giving me a hard time about honey. And they're, he said vegans are like cops. <laughs> you know, and I, I think it's, it's weak. It's like, it's, I don't know if I say weak, but I think it's a really bad excuse to harm animals because of the way that other vegans act. Yeah. Right. Like, like you should be vegan regardless. If every vegan on the planet was like the horrible worst person ever, I would still be vegan because I don't want to harm animals. But if you're someone that's new to this whole thing, and especially if you're under the scrutiny of, of being a celebrity and people are examining every little thing you do, why would you want to add another layer to that? And so it's like, yes, everyone should be vegan regardless. But why do we want to make it harder for someone to go and stay vegan? Yeah. And so so I think that things that add to the climate of of the stereotype that vegans are super preachy and judgy, I think that does us a disservice. I agree. I agree. But but Paul, I do agree with you that if a restaurant does choose to do this, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a restaurant that does sort of take that firm stance. Like like you said, I think it's within their rights. But I think it's it's more productive to bring those people in. And maybe when those people come in, you can talk to them if you want. Again, that might people might feel like they're being put on the spot a little bit. But there's like a level of comfort zone that you can push people out of where it's not going to be counterproductive, I think. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, and I guess another thing, and I feel like we try to get to the bottom of this all the time. I don't know if we ever really reach a real answer, but... If a restaurant was to include that sign that said no fur allowed out of respect for the animals, do you think that in order to be ethically consistent, they should also say no leather, no suede, no wool, no silk, anything like that? I would like I would want them to, but I feel like because fur is so apparent and it's so obvious and it's so out there, it's such a it's such a an obvious symbol of animal abuse. Like that's why people latch onto it so much versus a lot of these other things. And then on top of that, if you were someone that was at this restaurant and you were trying to enforce these policies, it would be so hard to enforce some of these other ones. Are you going to go up to someone and look at their shoes and being like, is that synthetic leather or is that real leather or something like that? Or are you going to be like, is that a silk shirt or is that a cotton shirt? But although Andy, Andy, t-shirt pro Taybar would just go over there and and touch the shirt and be like oh i know exactly what this is, this is an organic cotton bamboo blend but um but for the 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 peasant like myself the t-shirt peasant you know there's all these other things that i think it's it's impossible to know if it's vegan or not so i feel like it it, it would be very difficult for some to enforce that and again i i think it if a restaurant would want to make a sign like this, I totally think it would be it would be 
okay and cool if they made a sign out of respect for animals, please don't wear or bring in animal products. Like you said, Andy, I think then vegans that go there would expect you to have to enforce these things. I would, I would, and I don't know how exactly this would happen, but I would rather have that sign be understood more as like, Hey, I want you to do these things. I'm not going to kick you out if you don't do these things, but I would like it if you do these things, because then at least it puts the idea in the person's head that, Oh man, like maybe I've never thought about wearing this leather belt before, but now this is something that I'm thinking about. I'm not getting kicked out of a restaurant for it, but at least I'm thinking about it now. I don't know how you would get that, that in between of, having a sign but not having to strictly enforce it and kick people out but then not also having vegans be mad at you when you don't do that so i don't know how that would happen i don't have the answer to that but i do think it would be cool if if you somehow got the message across that it's not just fur because i don't know i I mean it's not that i'm upset that fur is on the decline but it really is such a it's such a it's the it's like the almost it's the obvious one and and there are so many other pieces to this that that I also want people to care about yeah so you saying all that had me think that in order to truly enforce a no animal products policy it feels like you would have to hire another person full time just to be inspecting people as they came in the door <laughs> and maybe even to have like a little cheat sheet of like oh well all nike's are not vegan or you know whatever it might be just sort of knowing what shoes are vegan and what aren't and all of this stuff so you don't have to confront people and but but I, honestly i feel like if a restaurant was going to have a no fur policy they should have that all the way policy or else to me in addition to the damage that that I talked about earlier of it's not allowing people to check out vegan food and potentially open themselves up to it, I think it also reinforces this sort of single-issue campaign idea and sort of segregates animal abuse into this is acceptable and this isn't. So I think that also sends a really confusing message to the potential vegan that might come. I think that it's like a double negative in that regard. But to play devil's advocate on the other hand we have talked many times in the past about not necessarily overloading someone all at once so it would be easier to say hey it it, stop wearing fur rather than hey you need to change your entire wardrobe all at once yeah yeah but i think that i don't know i still think it sends mixed messages no i i agree i agree i was just playing devil's advocate typical (laughs) even though i i said what i just said i do think that it does i do have to agree with you that i think that it does send some mixed messages about if we're talking specifically about canada goose about how the only thing that needs to change about them is the fur trim and not the actual goose feathers that are inside of it yeah like that because i think wasn't there even wasn't it it was Amy Schumer that was being interviewed by someone and I think she said she said something like and I think she even said she was like oh and I was confused because I thought that they wanted me to get rid of it because of the goose feathers but no they wanted me to get rid of it because of the the fur yeah and and it's that's not a good sign when there's confirmation that someone is like oh okay it's not about this it's about this thing it, this thing is fine this thing is not fine yeah yeah, I think it definitely sends really mixed messages, and I think that 
you know, you if you if you want to have a successful campaign, you need to be very clear about what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I guess with that said, I think we'll we'll leave it there. Please send us an email. Let us know what you think about this whole thing. Do you think all vegan restaurants should ban fur from entering their premises? Do you think it's really counterproductive to do that? Is there some other angle that we haven't thought about? Tell us why we're wrong. You can send us an email to thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. And don't forget to send in those questions and comments for the mailbag as well. And the last thing I'll say is if if you do send in an email about why restaurants should ban fur, I want to know why they should ban fur how like why would that help how would that help the animals because i i think there's you know the there's the case to be made that restaurants should ban fur because i the patron don't want to see that because i i don't want to see that but i don't think that's necessarily that's in itself is not necessarily going to further the cause that we're trying to promote so if you do have a case for that i want to hear something that that maybe andy or i didn't think about about how that would further the how that would further the cause yeah that was very poorly worded but i think i got the point across (laughs) indeed yeah i would love to hear other people's opinions on that so andy what do you got coming up Oh, this weekend, February 10th, I'll be doing a vegan Valentine's pop-up market in Manchester, New Hampshire. And then February 24th, I'll be at the PHX Vegan Food Fest in Phoenix, Arizona. Moving over to March, I'll be at the Vegan Street Fair in Los Angeles, California, March 25th. And then March 31st, I'll be in the Indie Veg Fest in Indianapolis, Indiana. The Andy <laughs> Vengefest. <laughs> Damn it, Paul. Uh, all of those, I'll be behind the Compassion Company table, which is my little clothing line that I run there. So come by, say hi, say what's up, Beardo. Pick up a button and or sticker, depending on what we got for you. Uh, I got plenty of other stuff. I have a crap ton of dates in April, May, June, July, some stuff all the way up through August and October. You can find all the dates, deets, and links for those at CompassionCo.com. And actually, speaking of emails, Paul, I want to say thanks to everyone that sent us emails over the course of this break. We're going to slowly start going through and responding to them. So sorry to everyone that's waiting for like six weeks for responses to us. But uh, yeah, we do we do appreciate it. Paul. Yes, Andy. So I don't, personally, I don't think that we should ban fur from restaurants. But there's one thing that I think we should never ban. And that's you saying <laughs> the following seven words. We are the Bearded Vegans signing off. Especially, what was the one that we had New Year's Eve last year? It was the one with the... Was it the was smoked it, farmhouse or was it the double cream chive? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, you know, encrusted in something. I'm going to edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> to turn around... To around. To around. Sorry, Paul. That's where I read this beforehand. <laughs> By Jake Conroy, who... Um, Really, really great 
thinker on stuff that's, that's <laughs> said so poorly <laughs> but said by andy tabar really great speaker on things <laughs> yeah well i think that also in terms of him diverse actually <clears throat> god damn it bloopers so paul yes andy we both spent a lot of time in brooklyn but I would be remiss to not remind the viewers that you actually live in Philadelphia. I do. And in fact, I think there's some local news from Philadelphia you want to share with us. Be- something Super Bowl related. Now, we talked about doing the PETA Super Bowl ad, but we said, no, 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 no. This is way more important <laughs> Super Bowl related <laughs> vegan news. So at, at the time that this is going to be released, the Super Bowl will have already happened. Philadelphia will have already beaten the Patriots. But... <laughs> Uh, there's this this news story that has been blowing up. I mean, in Philadelphia, but uh, I'll, I'll let you know it's blowing up outside Philadelphia too. So this is an article from Six ABC. So it's a local ABC news website that's called "Local Shop Won't Sell Boston Cream Donuts Ahead of Super Bowl 52." And just a tiny excerpt from that. If you are in the mood for some Boston cream donuts, you won't find them at Dottie's Donuts in Southwest Philadelphia. The shop said on their Facebook page, until the Eagles win the Super Bowl, we won't be serving our Boston cream donuts or any other New England themed donuts. Oh, that, so that knocks out like what, like 10 different flavors of donut that we're used to getting? <laughs> I, I don't. What, what else is a New England themed donut? Uh, clam chowder. Oh, yes. <laughs> the, that great clam chowder donut. Baked bean filled donuts. <laughs> i'm sorry baked bean filled donuts thank you so if you are not familiar dotty's is an all vegan donut shop there's two of them in philadelphia one's in south philadelphia one's in west philadelphia it's great the people that work there are all great and this news story has been getting a decent amount of of exposure on non-vegan sites so like this web this this article was on an abc site it's been covered on time.com boston.com and then a local cbs website as well and while not all of them some of the some of these articles say that it's a vegan it's a vegan donut shop not all of them say it but i'm stoked about this because i mean i i love dotties and i'm glad that they're getting this exposure anyways but i bet you that this is getting people to come check out their their shop because let me tell you andy people in philadelphia they love their eagles (laughs) and it's people are getting pretty rambunctious around here so i can only imagine that someone's like i freaking love the eagles i'm gonna go support support the heck out of this this shop that's really sticking it to the sticking it to boston so and i I noticed they replaced the boston cream with a different type of donut paul Can you tell us what that is <laughs> the creamed boston <laughs> <laughs> they also have they also have because again i did not know this when moving to philadelphia but the philadelphia fans are very ramb- a, a very rambunctious bunch who are i guess prone to climbing up uh lampposts so ahead of their games that have been played they the police have been greasing lampposts so that people cannot climb them so they've also come out with a greased lamppost donut yeah so apparently the head of their anti-riot strategy center is kevin McAllister from home alone <laughs> nice yeah they put marbles at the bottom of it too <laughs> yeah i don't know i think that's a really creative way I guess it's not like a way to promote veganism necessarily, but it's a really creative way to get people to come try vegan donuts. And hopefully they try it 
and that sort of opens up their minds to how delicious vegan food can be. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping to. Like like I said, I imagine this whole this whole thing has been amazing for their PR, so I hope that a lot of people have been exposed to it. So, yeah, it's a, a nice light a nice light story, but one that I thought was nice. Nice a nice story to start with. Yeah, a nice way to ease us back in. <laughs> from this frozen hell hellscape to the, <laughs> <laughs> the shitstorm that is the news yes do you want to take this next one andy